Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Continental Aspire Soccer. Today, I am joined with a very interesting guest. His name is Simon Hall, and he is one of the best experts that you can find out there on the world of refereeing. Coming across some of the work you've done, Simon, like the series on the Ref Lounge, a channel I've managed to find on YouTube, where you dissected different events on the pitch. I found it really interesting. I've not seen any other person do that in the way that you did. So we're going to get into some of the stuff you've done there today and also your background and some spicy no topics. Yes, but first of all, Simon, how are you this morning? <laughs> I'm fantastic. So I can't complain at all. And football's back next week, so I'm definitely not complaining. Brilliant. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very much in the similar vein to me. International football is getting a bit more interesting at the moment. But I've, I've, uh, when doing the research that I do, Simon, I try not to stalk anyone's social media. You know, it's hard to, you want to get the research done, but you don't want to come across as a creep. But I've gone through your LinkedIn. And it's quite interesting to see how many different jobs you've done. Uh, working at colleges, sales, different things like that. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to kind of get into the, the path you've taken. So talk me through, like, pathway from, like, when you were younger, going through school and things, these different jobs, and also now, I am not believe you might have exited the role, but president of Sheffield Referee Association. Just talk me yeah. through, like, <laughs> what's the path been for you? Because I'm really interested in that. I think the path in work-wise is I was ex I'm ex forces. Okay. Uh, I had quite a, a nasty accident whilst I was in there, so that kind of pulled, that stopped. That was the end of that. And I think the thing is, is with that, when you've got a dream from the age of seven, and there's no other dream, there was no backup plan or anything. Mm. <laughs> Zilch. So off I went, um, and when I came out, then you kind of do your job to job to find out what you want to do, uh, where you want to be, where you want to be in the world type thing. And then you have your, you know, you have your wedding and you have your kids, and your kids start playing football. There's no referee for that kid playing football, so uh, me being me, I'll do it. Yeah, go on, I'll do it type thing so and the interesting thing is is it wasn't a red but the first player I ever asked to leave the field of play due to um an interesting tackle at the age of eight was actually my own son <laughs> so um so regards there but I did I, I found my feet in sales and business development um and talking and communication and various things like that um but the the football side of things, I ended up joining a club called Baton Falcons. They'd only had the one team for one year. And then within three years of me being there, we had 17 teams. You know, we built it. We worked hard. Uh, there were three of us. The three amigos, they called us. And we built and we built. We built the, the uh, junior side, uh, the gill side and the adult side. And, of course, I was refereeing at the time as well. So my life was football. My life was football because the thing is, is when you're going on the promotion trail of refereeing, you're all over. You know, there, there was times I was at a game on a Saturday morning managing till about 20 minutes to go to full time and having to shoot off because I had a, a FA Cup first round fixture or an FA trophy game. And you had to shoot off then. You had no choice. You could not be late in any way, shape or form. Um, and that, that went on, you know, that, that kind of went on for ages, but then I ended up working in a school. I just wanted to work. We, I had a, a safeguarding issue within uh, a team, 
and I dealt with it and everything and realised what some of our kids, you know, some of our kids' backgrounds and their families and, you know, and the lack of support and stuff. And I ended up going into education and found my feet for over a decade. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and let me say that, I mean, if you work in education and I salute everybody over the last 12 months on what they've done to keep going, to, to, to change things for the benefit of the kids and their families and to try and keep communicating with everything that's going on. I think it's been phenomenal. I, I, I really do what they've done. Um, and I know I've ended up in education myself again, but my software background ended up in education and software. And that just carries on, and I just educate young referees, new referees, mentors, and, and I just carry on, and I just love helping people. It's it, it's just where I have found my my feet. So yeah, I mean, it's usually when I do these interviews, I kind of interject, but I just had to let you keep going there because I think that's one of the most interesting answers I've ever had. Just because so, no, it just is. It's amazing, and then refereeing the referee association. Um, it is the place that I think every referee should be a member of. And I was vice chair at Sheffield RA, then I was chairman, and then I became president, which I've now left because I've, I've set up Steel City RA. Um, so Steel City Sheffield, you might, you might just get the uh, the link on that one. And <laughs> I set up Steel City RA with, with two really close friends because we wanted to take it forward online you know away from the traditional so for instance thursday night little plug we're, we're doing about dealing with foul and abusive language but it's a 30 minute quick fire training we're all too we are regardless of lockdown we are all so busy so a quick <laughs> training session 30 minutes bang 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 there you go it, it's kind of where i think we're at now in and how our lives are so, uh, so yeah, so we've kind of changed things a bit there and, and like I say, set up a new RA to help lots and lots of people. <laughs> well, I've got speechless to some of the things just because, well, I've got my interview structure in front of me and I wanted to start mainly like when you were saying when you were younger and I thought, because like I said, I haven't gone too far back and I thought the answer I was going to get was you went straight into refereeing and football. But to hear you went into the art, uh, armed forces and then uh, came out due to an injury. So, the, just a clarification: at what point, like, at what point in your life, what what sort of age did you come home then? And like you said, you didn't know what you were going to do. I was twenty. I was twenty. Didn't have a clue. My dreams were gone. I went straight into the army from school. Dreams were gone. It was the only thing I wanted to do. Um, it was tough. It was really tough. Because in the army, you've got to be tough. You've got to have a tolerance level. Um, and that tolerance level at first, came, it was arrogant. It, it, it was it was really arrogant, you know, I, I'm the army, you know, and that type of thing. So you kind of, but then you were a bit bitter as well. So you've got a bit of a chip on your shoulder. So that doesn't bode too well you know, mm. at all. Um, and all you've ever talked about is the army and now that's gone. Um, I did. Do you know what? I worked in a paper shop, mm. you know, literally managing a news agent just purely on the basis that it was a job. 
But yeah. I actually tended to, I mean, I loved it, but it also allowed me to go home and away watching football. Um, so literally I got to travel home away abroad because the owner of the new, he were brilliant with me because he knows I'd always make my hours up. And then later on in life, when you're when I was working in school, because sometimes I'd be leaving the school at 3.30 to go refereeing an evening game, which I might not get back in till midnight, one o'clock in the morning, but I'd be back in work at seven the next morning. Mm. Those days are tough. Yeah. I, I, it's just a lot of things you're saying kind of trigger with me a bit, just the idea of, because uh, from a similar experience, way I, it feels completely different, also similar. I went to uni after uh, college and it was completely not what I wanted to do. And I dropped out at about the same age that you would have come home, like 20. And you have that feeling of everything you've worked towards and you build up the arrogance thinking you know what you're going to do. And then you drop out and it's it feels like, oh, not sure. And you say you joined a... Uh, like doing a paper shop thing and had to do, do a similar job as well where it's just like it's quite a level not a level down but it feels like bringing back to earth in a way so yeah. you, you're saying you're but at this point still you were you had this interest in football right you're uh yeah, yeah I was a home and away traveler so am I allowed to say which team I, I'm gonna guess by the accent and by the multiple associations at Sheffield oh wait there's two isn't there Oh, okay, go on. Enlighten me. Well, the, she- the Chef United, the Chef Wednesday, but I'm actually from Manchester. I'm a Manchester ah. United fan. So I I followed them in the non-glory years um, <laughs> all the way through. So um, and just just showing me age a bit, you know, pre, pre-Premier League, you know, fo- football didn't just appear the day the Premier League appeared. There was a load before that. Um, so, yes, we... we we travelled Europe. We travelled all over um, with them because it was, you know, it, it was like a camaraderie thing. So, and what what's quite funny is you've mentioned Ref Lounge, mm, yeah, and Ref Lounge I did with Keith Hackett. Okay. So Keith Hackett was a referee at Old Trafford when I have no doubt I had a chance in mind because all all referees were the same and everything else like that. So to do Ref Lounge with Keith later on, and we joked about it because we, we went to China together and we, we actually joked, I joked about the fact that I was in a car at stupid o'clock at, at night on the way to Manchester Airport to go to China with Keith Hackett. And I told him who I used to just slate every week for bad decisions. So <laughs> but then he'd argue with me that they were right. And they were right. I just didn't know the laws of the game when I was that young. <laughs> What a nice little way to, for it to come around for you, though. Like, so many years later to be doing the show with him. It was brilliant. Well, I, I, I was just going to mention, so, like, you're going home and away and watching Manchester United. I mean, oh, I was just going to ask, though, because I've, I've not met many people who go into refereeing. And I've played football when I was younger. And it looks like a job that is up there in terms of hell just the amount of like you've just mentioned there you'd be given an abuse every week and sort of thing i was just gonna ask at this point were you i mean you're just saying you're slating the ref but were you thinking about the game in a different way like at what point in your life did you start to kind of go more to that way was it literally i know you mentioned earlier that it was uh, it was it, it sounded almost as simple as oh we need a ref today i'll do it was that literally the moment or was there a bit yeah. of interest before that that was the moment that that was kind of the moment. Um, I was like every parent, 
you know, watching the kids play football week in, week out. And, you know, we couldn't always get a referee. Um, in fact, there isn't enough referees. There weren't then. And there's a lot less now. And there's more games now. But the thing with, with it is the fact that you just kind of step forward. And, and I did a few games and, you know, we had a bit of laugh. And then it was took for granted that I would do the games. But So I went on the referee course. I actually then chose then. So... I'm trying to think. My son was eight. He's 27 now. Hmm. So there we go. Let someone else do the maths. And we, and that was kind of it. But I just passed the exam to referee his team. Oh. I had no intentions of doing anything else whatsoever. Wow. And then the thing with refereeing is. They call it the referee bug, and it's true. And I ended up doing, I got asked to cover a game, and it doesn't exist anymore. It was Sheffield and Ollerton Sports League or something it was, Ollerton Sports League, which was on a Saturday afternoon. And it was, uh, and I always remember it, it was CICFC versus Farm Road, and they were notorious teams. They were notorious for getting out of hand. And thing is, we don't have assistants. And I went on to this game, it was an adult game, and there were some very, very big players. And we had about three minutes to go. And I remember rightly, because I hadn't followed the structure. No one had helped me at this point. And I used to referee in a cap because I was a lot a lot bigger than I am now. And I'm not exactly small now. And, you know, and trying to run around. Because I always had a thing that I had to get to where I needed to be. And I'd bust a gut to get there. But this game, these two lads, they squared up. And, I mean, they must have been six foot six, six foot five each. And I thought, they're going to go at it. And I went in between them, pushed them apart. And I'm like, lads, there's like three minutes to go. Why are you going <laughs> to ruin a great game like that? And they looked at each other. And I'm thinking, please don't do anything. Because if you clobber me, I'm gone. I'm out of here. You know? so, and anyway, they backed off. And, I, and after the game, I thought, I can do this. <laughs> I can actually, I could actually do this, and uh, so I spoke to the referee development officer, and ended up on different leagues and stuff, and it, and it all, all began, it, and it just become. And the thing is, is what people don't realise within refereeing, and you see it on social media, the referee fan club, and all that sort of stuff. We are a tight knit community, you know. We're all we're all friends because we're all in it kind of together, which is the thing we've heard over. That's it. And what actually slowly happens, especially when you're going on, because the day you become a referee, mm. watching your team is different. All right. Uh, how, how so? Let's go into that. So well, go for it. <laughs> There's suddenly three teams on the pitch. <laughs> when you become a referee, there becomes three teams on the pitch. The home, the away side and the referee team. Oh, wow. Because the referee, yeah, people forget that the referee group is a team. So going back to your two assistants, your referee, and then you've got your fourth official. And then as time's gone on, obviously, we've now got VAR. But you are a team and you're in sync together. And you see things because 
with good refereeing, all the communication we say is done downstairs, which means it's done below waist height. So now they're mic'd up. So it's a bit different, you know, they're mic'd up in the sense that they are telling each other, um, you know, look, we're going left or we're going right or home team, away team, whichever they're shouting. But before mics, it was all pointed below waist height. So everybody went together and went the right way together. That's so really you see a different team and you start seeing why they're doing things. And then when you do see a mistake or what they construe as a mistake, you look at where the referees actually stood and you go, he's got no chance of seeing that. He's got no, you know, how the, how the hell is he or she going to actually see that from there? And you're slating them. So you yeah. start seeing things totally, totally different. And that that really came across. I mean, we'll go into it a lot more later, but that really comes across in the clips I've watched of you where like I'm I'm going into it expecting you to say, Oh, the player did this, or like the, the ref made this decision right. But the first things you're talking about is he's bought the referee's body language is brilliant here, he's calming the situation, or he's being authoritative here. And it, it the way I get what you mean, the way you look at it, it's almost completely different. It's things I never would have considered before we head into that because there's a lot of interest there. I just want to map it out a bit more as well because as as you've just proven right there and also as I'm talking about it now the knowledge you have just like in terms of the officiating world and refereeing what you see is so massive that I would have expected like I, I thought you'd started a really long time ago but I think I mean just to say your age or anything, but it sounds like this was quite a while after coming home from the armed forces at age 20. Like you said, the first time was when your your son was aged eight. So how, like, I guess the question I was going to ask is, how did you learn so much so quickly? You've got no choice. <laughs> In refereeing, you've got no choice. You, yeah. I'll get a bit, of, I'll try not to get on a soapbox here. If you're, if you're me and me has a thing about perfection, then I strive to be better at everything that I do. So joining the, uh, the referee association as it was meant that I then got support from some amazing referees who were in the old like division one. You know, so, so they, they would help you. They would guide you. If you had a problem, nobody laughed at you. You know, if you'd made a mistake, see the thing, because that's the other thing with mistakes in refereeing. You know, I'll tell you now, a referee knows when they've made a mistake. You know, so social media now will not let you forget that mistake, but you don't until your next game. And it, it does, you, you know, the amount of sleep you can lose at night for hours and hours now. My thing is, is my... Going to grassroots now, there isn't enough development. But there isn't there isn't enough of a buy-in either from referees. So go back to Simon at um when my son was eight years of age, going in, refereeing his um his team on there. That's what a lot of people do. And then they'll do stay within that club. So they'll not just do that team, they'll do another team within the club. But they won't go on another course to develop hmm. they have no idea if they are doing it right because no one's telling them so you, you have to put yourself around now both my kids are referees 
and they had the absolute best referees around them whilst they went through it. Um, so they learn, and and all the people, all my colleagues, me, and everybody around me, and friends, had the thing to turn around and go, "What? What was that? Where, where was your positioning?" You know, my daughter's come, my daughter's come off a game and gone, "I've had a right game," and I've gone, "Have you? <laughs> you really think you've had a good game?" Well, yeah, I only missed this and this, and I went, "So you missed that and that? What else did you miss? This and this. so you still think you've had a good game?" Well, no. Well, how could you have got that better? You know, and and it is. You know, people can criticise refs all they want on social media. We criticise ourselves a hell of a lot worse, and we do take the Mickey out of each other. You know, proper proper take the Mickey out of each other. Yeah, that's what we do. You know, because we have to keep sane. Yeah, I mean that that leads on to our next topic, sort of thing. Our hand, which was like, how do you set about becoming not just a referee, but like. Like you're mentioning now, I mean, you're a perfectionist, so I, I guess this will ring true of you, like the perfect ref. So, uh, like you said, you you had to just, you kind of got thrown in the deep end, but, and you said you passed a test on the day of refereeing your the game. What what other things are there? So is it, is it almost like coaching where you've got different levels you need to pass? Yeah. Is it like yeah. that? Can you explain yeah. that first? You start at level seven. If you're over 16 and you pass your level seven referee, so and if you look at the you look at um, the likes of Craig Pawson and them up there, level one at the Premier League. Yeah. So it goes the other way. So it's seven six five four three two a two b one <laughs> something like that at, at, at the very top now. Um, so, so you're striving. If you're under 16, because you can qualify at 14 years of age, then you're level eight. Yeah. And you'll stay at level eight until you're 16 and then you're automatically level seven. You do a year and you can go for promotion. So and then what you have to do there is like 20 middles. So actually referee in the middle of 20 and it, it's technically the under 18s and above okay. to qualify as a game. So, you know, an under nines doesn't qualify for a promotion game, you know, but an under 18s would for obvious reasons you know, to go to the next level. So that goes to level six, but you can get observed as well. So somebody will come and unmark you and they have a criteria that they'll mark you against to say, you know, yes or no for that promotion. You've also got club marks that come into it as well. So the clubs mark you. Mm -hmm. So in your game, so they'll look at your club marks as well, whether that's right or wrong. I have my own personal views, whether the club should be marking you, but... You know, um, but seven to six is it's one of those journeys where it's more about knowing the laws of the game and identifying fouls, you know, and, you know, and, and the corners and stuff. There's, there's not too much emphasis on playing advantage and acknowledging it and stuff. But you've got to have a bit of a level of fitness and awareness around you. So they're the key things. Six to five, you start changing your game okay. changes. Um, because people are coaching you all the way and you won't do it without being coached, you know. So saying that, you won't. There is some. Mm. There are some that do it. Um, but I don't believe they do it without any help whatsoever, you know. So the RA, for instance, um, Steel City RA, we've got, a, we've got a, a great mentoring platform. We've just not been able to implement it yet because we're not that old as, a, as an RA. But we're looking forward to implementing it when we're allowed to actually go to a game. So that'll be fantastic. 
And then then five becomes interesting. Level five is where it becomes wow. Because level five is, uh, you tend to be on the line at the likes of Northeast Counties, which is like step six in the footballing pyramid. And then you're in the middle on your county seniors or what we have near us is called Central Midlands. And that's a step seven. So you tend to do your middles at one level and your lines at the level above. And that's, you know, when you start doing lines, when you start being an assistant referee, is when you start learning. Okay. Because okay. you are with such experienced referees. Ah, and you're watching yeah. them. You're watching and listening and they're helping and they're guiding all the time. And But the thing is, is and, and this is a point I've always made to my two kids, you will learn off every referee. No matter how bad they are, no matter how good they are, you will learn from every referee. You will see things on a pitch Mm-mm. that you will never do because you're cringe. <laughs> but you can't do it. You are a team. So going back to the third team, yeah, yeah, you are a team and you're there for each other on that day for that 90 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I've just got a couple of things in there. So just just for context, so which so which level uh, did you reach then? Was it level six? Or I got to. I was at level five, which is your semi-pro leagues. Yeah. Um, on the level five, um, I nicely finished number one in the county, but then cocked up my fitness test. <laughs> so you know, it's one of them things. I should never have cocked it up, but I did. And that's life, you know. That happens. You go with you go with the punches type thing, and um, but I went on to do a lot more mentoring. Yeah, so oh. I love mentoring, and I've never not the only. I've only one referee I've mentored that I've not got to level four, and that was purely because they failed their fitness test. Whereas every which I, you know I couldn't do for them, but I could okay. do everything else. This sort of leans into the mentoring. It might lean into mentoring then because you're like mentoring other referees to get to these levels. And coming from like very mainstream, we don't know about referees' perspective. We're the people who go on Twitter and go, we can't believe Mike Dean did this. Mm-hmm. When we look at footballers, obviously they have like they, their career is almost like 18 years old to 38. And you can like in when you're thinking of what makes a good footballer, you can think of you, you can think of, I don't know, Andy Carroll or Erling Haaland. Like you can see, basically what I'm saying is you can see what makes an amazing footballer, what makes, a, like what parts of their game they need to improve on. With a referee, what aspects are there to making the perfect ref? And also, is there, is there almost like a limit? Because with a footballer, I guess like we don't know how good they can get. With a referee, it almost feels like, like it, it you can't win six or seven nil. You just have to keep doing, churning out really, really good games. So it might have been a bit of a layered question there, but what would make the perfect referee and how do you get to that level? Referee's perceptive. It, it's, it's, it's all about perception on the person. What I think makes a perfect referee will be different to somebody else. Okay. Um, and, and I always look at this and if you go back FIFA, many years if you go back on fifa on i don't know playstation 2 or whatever <laughs> it were you used to get uh, a thing about the referee for the game whether they were strict 
yeah. media more lenient. And I look at the game now and still see that within refereeing, you know, at the very, very top of the game. Now, mm. some prefer one, some players, and some prefer another. Mm. You know, and it's like, which one do you want? And everyone goes on about consistency within the laws of the game. Well, why not say, I've got Mike Dean this weekend, right? Mm. I already know that there's chances are there's going to be a card or two. So yeah. I'm going to keep the trap shut. And that's the same with grassroots. You know, my son knows the referees and he went back playing after he got to level five, but he went back playing. And he would look at who the referee would be and he'd walk in the, in the dressing room and say, lads, keep your gob shut today because you'll get a card quicker than anything and they'll not mind giving you a second yeller either. Okay. You know, and that's what he used to do. But he was also very good in the sense that he would get into a referee's ear in the most politest, nicest way. <laughs> in what way? How does he... You know what, ref? That was a. Do you know what, how you saw that? That was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Or he'd walk in. If a player says something, he'll get in the middle and go, "Oi, walk away." No, you leave the ref alone. Because what he's trying to do is buy a decision later on. Yeah. To say and have has it ever happened to me? Have I ever bought a decision? Been bought? Yeah, I did an FA Cup ladies game, and I still remember it. It was Radcliffe versus Durham ladies, and she was the captain in the in the tunnel before we went out. Hi, ref. How are you? Welcome. Hope hope you enjoy the game. <laughs> and she kept the players off my back the entire game, and then she did a tackle which was the easiest yeller ever. And because of who it was, I went, look, you've saved me a lot of hassle this game. <laughs> and she knew it. She absolutely knew it. And I laugh about it because my own son now does the same philosophy. Um, keeps keeps players at bay. And he's saving himself for tenor. That's what he's doing. He's saving himself for tenor by doing it. He's not. He's got the respect and stuff. But I do yeah. joke about it on stuff like that. But I'm, as a referee or an assessor, because observer, as we're called now, I love to see communication, which okay. means the referee talking to the players is an absolute must from me. Okay. I love to see a referee that works hard for the whole of the game. If if, if I see you sauntering, it, it really gets me. It's a little bit of a pet hate. And if I am observing, I know some referees will speak to my daughter and say, I've got your dad at weekend. What do I do? You know, yeah. and she'll say, look, all he wants to do is hear you talk and see you work hard. And that means working hard to get like side on views. So if there's a tackle, I don't want you behind play. I want you there and getting the best angle that you can get for that decision because we get paid to do this. you got to remember, even though everyone goes on no ref, no game, which I don't believe, but I've never believed that, you know, jumpers for goalposts is always a thing. <laughs> um, so if there's no referee, still jumpers for goalposts. You set up your game and off you go type of thing. But... On a game, on a Sunday or a Saturday, whenever you go out, everyone's volunteers. Yeah. You are getting paid. So you 
have to give 100% no matter what. Mm. See, I've, yeah. I've been doing multiple games because, as you, as you know, there's a referee shortage. It's massive and it's getting bigger, this shortage. It, it's, it's awful. So I get asked three, four, five games a weekend on one day. I'm down to doing just the one game, unless it's two smaller sided games. But it's because I can't give 100% for that other game. So my refereeing thing is, is I know who I like in the Premier League refereeing. I know Martin Atkinson, for me, is the most consistent referee. Okay. Yeah. Michael Oliver is the best referee. Okay. Anthony, yeah. Anthony Taylor is probably the second stroke nearly at first for me um th those are at the top and i know who i would say is at the very bottom and i know why and i know why because they don't communicate they don't move mm. you know you can't talk to them mm. but you take them away from you take them away from that premier league setting and put them in say a referee association setting where they're giving training they will use their own videos and their own mistakes oh that's an interesting way to put it and I, I like i like the thing you talk about i guess the guru summed up the other thing was that focus like you've got to give the 100 percent every time no matter what level and before yeah. we touch on the premier league stuff i do want to go into grassroots refereeing as i'm sure you do too and you've mentioned there's the referee shortage at the moment in grassroots, right? Why do you think that is? Or I guess it's a, like, a big question, but like, where, where do you think that's coming from? I can probably cover it reasonably quick in the, in the sense that first problem I will put at the door of DFA, okay. the Football Association themselves, um they don't they do not do enough for newly qualified referees we okay. lose so many in the first 12 months i don't know what the figures are but we lose a lot so for that reduction and, and it's like this and, and nobody will answer you this and i've asked the question and i've been denied the answer so many times when you're running courses you are replacing the referees that have left so if you have a thousand people go through a course mm. the chances are a thousand people have left due to abuse mm. or retirement yeah mm. just calling it a day yeah so your numbers aren't going to alter but what they're saying we're not losing refs well no because what you're doing is you're replacing so if i retired tomorrow you lose a very experienced level five referee but you will gain a level eight or level seven referee to replace me mm. and that's the problem that experience is leaving in its droves and not being replaced you've then got covid at the moment mm. and with covid there's been no courses mm. so we're in for a rough ride yeah I... and the fa themselves haven't done anything anywhere near enough for that you then go to the abuse side of things, um, and it is there, and it's horrible. And you know, and okay, you know, I've got broad shoulders and stuff, but it does get me. You know, it, it really does sometimes get me, especially when I know I'm right. They're, they're the worst ones when they're really going mad, and you 100% know you're right. 
um, and then you've got the under 18s until the FA start start treating an under 18 referee as getting abuse as safeguarding it won't change if you do it as a safeguarding issue they are you know that manager that coach that spectator that player is abusing a minor mm. and it's a safeguarding incident it's not discipline but it is discipline but that's after the safeguarding investigation of, yeah. of why they've done that and you've got to remember the fa so i'm going to give a bit of thing on here they have the purple shirts and the yellow um like captain's armband but it's to show that they are an under 18 referee so you've got no reason not to know that that referee is a minor don't get me wrong it should happen to anyone and when you look at the over 18s and you look at players getting smacked and chased and abused and everything else like that and they get a 10 game ban Mm. You know, we, we, we've had a player spit during the pandemic at a referee and he got 10 game ban. Mm. God. You know, and it's like, why only 10 days? So, and then it's because the FA need the money from the players. Mm. So, refereeing is actually secondary. And if you treat him referee as secondary, then your numbers are going to drop. Yeah, you can't do it any other way, and the, and the lack of training we don't have to take. So if I'm level seven, going for six. So sorry, if I'm level seven and that's all I want to be, mm. I never have to pass another test. Be oh, assessed, yeah. be observed. I have nobody to measure my standards as a level seven. So when the when the laws of the game change, which they do annually. When the laws of the game change, how does the FA know that that person is adequately up to date? Yeah, that's a really good point there. And I don't like just before you continue. I, I think I like with the abusing as well because, like I said, I've played Sunday league football. Most people have, and I think I, I come from London, and I think most people in London tend to think everything north of here is very nice and everyone's very lovely. Which I'm sure is not always true, as you just mentioned with the incidents. But I can just like as you're talking there, I just I just remember days from Sunday League where a referee makes a decision that's probably not even wrong, and they're probably they even if they're not a minor, they're like 18, 19 years old, and you just get parents screaming at them. They'll get I remember a couple of times a referee getting chased after the game, and you, I do I do remember there's just there's nothing in place to stop that. But like if if the parents want to go up to that referee and shout in his face, that referee is on his own. There's no one out there to protect him. Mm. And you, like, oh, you were talking there about the shortage and everything, and like referees, I can absolutely see why. Even if I'm growing up and I really want to go into refereeing, maybe I don't have the footballing skills, or maybe it's just something I'd like to do. I can imagine just quitting after a year because. It must be like you, you just look at it, even Premier League referees, the treatment they get. No wonder, like, it's such a hard task to get them to stay. Uh, yeah, it's just really interesting. <laughs> well, it is. You've also got the fact that this pandemic is going to change things. Okay. So, on a Saturday, do I go turn up half an hour earlier, check a pitch, check mm. net? Check players' jewellery, get abused when I ask them to remove jewellery <laughs> because last week's referee didn't, which comes to consistencies and standards. 
do a game, get shouted at, get a ball. You know, I've even known um, managers and coaches pay the referee afterwards and chuck it on the floor in front of them. Or do I put a lead on my dog and go for a walk down the Transpennine Trail in the countryside, have a chill and a laugh? I can't now at the moment, but then meet at a cafe, have a coffee, have a chat, and then have a nice walk back. Yeah. They're going to be my options when football returns. Yeah. And if you don't have that passion for refereeing, like that very, very, very clear passion that's unwavering in every opportunity, there's no way you're not going to take that second route, which is just so much more stress relieving. So and even so, so before we touch on Premier League referees, because I'm really interested in this, how do you what is the best way to go about fixing this? Because it feels like an I guess it can feel like the love trickiest it. problem in the world. <laughs> Tell everybody to love it. <laughs> Tell everyone, just love it. Because there's kind of there's a, a for and against argument here, right? In the sense of, and my referee friends will go, why have you said that? The more abuse I get, the better I referee. Why is that? Why is that? Don't know. Proving a point. <laughs> Proving a point. You raise your game. It's what you do. I guess you know, it's like... I did an under nines final. Yeah. And, and we laugh about it because I always measure my distance. And I did just over 5K in a single game under nine's final. Yeah. And and I put it on the internet and, and someone says, how do you do that in an under nines? I says, because I'm everywhere. I make <laughs> sure I am everywhere on that pitch that whoever loses that cup final has not lost because of me. Mm. You know, and... And that, that's kind of a real case in point about everybody doing everything they can. Now, I love refereeing. It comes across, I, love, I really do. And those people who do give that thing, I have been known to stop the game and walk across to them and have a chat, you know. But I'm me, you know. I'm, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a new referee. So my thing is, is for us to move forward now, I, I would love... A, we've got the, um, oh, what do you call them? <sighs> Clubs are volunteers now, like COVID people that go around and make sure everybody's keeping the distance and stuff like that. What if after COVID, would they go around as a disciplinary thing? So at grassroots, junior football, you're getting abused, to go across to give them a yellow card that's pre-printed with a little thing on to say, look, you're getting a little bit carried out away. Um, please calm it down otherwise we're going to have to ask you to leave mm. you know and just give it to them that way because the people who do the abuse don't know it's them mm. they they really do not know it's them and i think that'd be a great solution just from the grassroots point of view the other one is it as you pass now i know it's not easy all over the country because not everyone's got a professional team or teams on their doorstep i mean we're in Sheffield, so we've got Sheffield Wednesday, we've got uh, Sheffield United, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're lucky, we've also got the world's oldest club in Sheffield FC, you know, the, the founders of, of the beautiful game, and they have academies, so new referees should be going there and being mentored, 
you know, that and giving the tips. So even if it was just two games, they have a maybe a game on the line and a game in the middle. They get some tips. They go back out into their local uh, team. They rep a few games. They come back. They rep another game, and then that person just gets some tips and stuff. Do you know what? Just those three games being supported at an academy level where all the parents have got to be silent. Just being in that environment, we would increase the retention rates of referees. Yeah, just that's... doing that would keep the retention rate. Yeah, and I think the, the there's an, a line you said in there actually that people who are abusing refs don't realise they're doing it. And I think that's actually such a really important point because, like, like, going back to just like the easy, that the most simple grassroots level, like myself playing Sunday League, I remember. I remember one game where I thought the referee was having an awful match, and I'm generally quite a quiet. I mean, I'm I'm five foot five and ginger with glasses. I'm not exactly going to be the biggest alpha male, but I do remember just shouting to the referee. And I was like, "Why is that a foul? Come on, man!" And shouting at them. And in the culture of Sunday League and the culture of grassroots football, that's almost accepted. Like, if you were to feel if a player my age had been shouted at by everyone you can imagine everyone going over and saying whoa step back here but with the referee it's almost like it's, it felt almost accepted where oh our team is losing referee makes a decision we don't like it's acceptable for our entire team and everyone watching supporting us to go what are you doing ref and if you that idea you had so brilliant if we just had you got to think as well because most Sunday league games, most grassroots games, they're all on the same pitches. They're on the yeah. same fields, and like all you need is a few people to go around and just say, "Right, you need to calm down." Like, except you're angry, but just need to sort it out. That was such a novel way of saying it. But I, this has led up really nicely, Simon, because so far I've just been educated here, and I think it's going to continue to the next topic. Because coming in, the next topic I have is if I've got it written down: is UK refereeing good enough? And do they offer the right chances to upcoming referees? And coming into this, before hearing everything you've said, I've actually been privately quite a stern critic of Premier League referees. But here it like hearing this other side of what they have to consider, the things they go through, it's made me a bit more lenient. But I've still got a few things that I wanted to bring up. And it leans into some things you actually mentioned about consistency. And uh, just for the context is first, but I want to mention is before the introduction of VAR. So uh, I want to hit you with a couple of statistics. Since 2016-17 Premier League season, uh, I mapped out the official refereeing statistics on the Premier League website. Um, Mike Dean and Jonathan Moss, they would average four to three and a half yellow cards a game, whereas Kevin Friend and Andre Mariner would give out nearly two per game. So it's a big difference. And also, just on top of that, while some refs like Paul Tierney and Chris Kavanagh would give out seven and five red cards respectively since 2018. Mike Oliver gave out 14 and Mike Dean gave out 23 in the same time period. Now you've already said that Michael Oliver you think's the best referee. What and you've touched on the consistency thing, maybe players should approach it differently, but is it fair almost in a way that one one week a fat like a tackle could be for almost passed aside? And then the next week you could be given a booking and maybe not necessarily just to the players, but as a as a, a fan watching on, do you think it kind of invites criticism onto refs? What's your thoughts on those sort of statistics? I think it's the communication between um, referees um, mm. 
and teams is at an all-time low. Yeah. Even though we've got the biggest communication tools there are in social media and stuff. So what, what you see as a fan, okay, so let's, I'm trying to think of a recent incident, but I can't think one off the top of my head. So an incident happens, then you get um, Dermot on a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, even Monday morning, discussing that incident. Now, Dermot's paid for by the PGMOL. So Dermot's going to do, he's going to deliver whatever he's been told to deliver. You know, and there is jokes about him sitting on the fence on a lot of decisions and stuff. There, there are jokes about them. To communicate what a referee does and how they think, I personally believe is priceless. So, for instance, our training nights are open to everyone. So if a manager wanted to drop in on a training night of what we do, um, they are welcome because I would love their views. Hmm. Because you know what? If I've got an experienced manager, even an unexperienced manager, telling me their viewpoint, I'm learning. Yeah. So we don't teach the fans. We we don't. You know, that the PGMOL have made this decision to keep the mouth shut and never talk. Mm. You know, the, the argument about the referees talking after the game. There's no communication. It's dead easy. Communicate. Mm. Because the reason there's a foul. So you see a foul in the 11th minute. Then there's an almost identical because no two fouls are the same, never are. Yeah. On the 63rd minute, and the 63rd minute one gets the yellow card, and that's what cheeses fans off. Yeah. Yeah. This one in the 63rd minute is different to the first one for one reason: the atmosphere of the game has changed. Okay. Referees walk on there to keep 22 players on the pitch. Yeah. 22 players, that's all they want to do is start with 22, finish with 22, and they don't want to be seen by the camera. They really don't. The best the best referees aren't seen by the camera. And regardless of what fans think about the celebrity ref status and all that sort of stuff, they really, really don't want to be the centre of attention. But decisions, for every decision, brings you forward to be that centre of attention. So that 63rd-minute tackle has actually been done on the back of three other tackles. Mm, and the rest gone, whoa, enough's enough, there you go, there's your yellow card. The one in the 11th minute was the first tackle. Yeah. And then there wasn't another one. Then there wasn't another one. So what referees do when you are down at base level, and, and this is one of my things, when you are at the level, the field of play, you're in the middle of it, you're gauging the temperature of the game all the time. And... You'll see, especially at non-league football, right, where they haven't got the communications, the comms kit, you can see a referee. I see it because I'm watching them. But you'll see them go, around where's my camera? You'll see them go like that to the assistant. And that means they're about to kill the game because mm. they're basically the temperature of the game's changed it's getting heated you know the tackles are starting to fly in and what they'll do is the referee will start blowing for it virtually every little minor incident and they'll tell the captain straight get back to playing football yeah mm. get back to playing football and i'll let the game go again okay and now people say that's inconsistent. No, it's not because they're trying to keep 22 players on the pitch. And if they allow it to continue, one of, one of them is going to get up and chin the other one and they're off the pitch. 
So they're, they're trying, you know, that they are trying their best. And I understand it from a fan's point of view because no one's explaining the fact that, well, that was a yellow card because that was actually his fifth tackle. Yeah. His fifth foul. So I've done him for persistent offending. Mm. I got, you know, and people yeah. don't do that. But you also have team offending. And now, now I'm going to go on to make me think about the top level. Sometimes that team offending isn't acknowledged. You know, where one player will foul. Jack Grealish is a perfect example. And I know people say, oh, he dives and everything else goes down too easy. Yeah, he does. But one player will take him. Another player will take him. Then a different player will take him. Straight away, captain in. I know what you're doing. And the next person that fouls him will get a card. We, we on the telly, are not privy to that information. Because that information can be done in passing. Yeah. And that understand, I, I guess it's just the way you were explaining it. If we had that explanation, that understanding all the time, instantly, all of all of my pre, all all of the complaints I would usually have in a referee's match, instantly it's gone. Oh, it's because of this. That's so, like I didn't re- didn't think of it that way. But just before we touch on communication, because I've got something to, I'm going to try and get it on screen, just because I think it's going to help support. Your point in a way in the fact that you mentioned about celebrity referees and no referee wants to be seen. I have something which you might be aware of, might not be aware of, but I think might be an issue with what, what why Premier League refs. It, I'm not sure if you think the same, but I thought before looking into this that you don't hear about this referee from Syria or this referee from Germany. You don't know any of their names, but almost a lot of European European fans know our Premier League referees' names. And I thought, why yeah. is that? And I'm going to try and. Share my screen now, actually. So and then I'll, I'm, give you a point, I'll give you a good point of view on this after you've shown this. Yes. So I'm not sure. Can you see this at the moment? Yes. Yeah, so you don't need to see the numbers too specifically. But what this is and what for the people watching at home is, this is the 1920 season of the top league in the Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, Syria and Ligue 1. And it's the, dip, it's the top 20 referees and their match time. So the purple is the referee received the most, and then each colour down is receiving the least. Now, you don't even need to look at the numbers because in League 1, as you can see, most referees are receiving even game time. And for the numbers, if you can't see it, Simon, the people at home, the top for League 1 is 16 and the lowest is 10. In La Liga, the most games one referee experienced was 14 and the lowest was 8. Bundesliga, 18 and 10. In the Premier League, it was, I think it's Martin Atkinson, Michael Oliver, and somebody else received 32, and then some are receiving 11 and 16. So I'll stop sharing now. Do you think that that invites pressure? Because it's like we've got some referees who are being fielded week, week in, week out, like Lee Mason the other week. He made a mistake against Brighton, and then he was due to appear the next week and the next day, like literally the next evening. Whereas in, across Europe, they wouldn't appear for another week. Do you think? What 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 do you make of that? Oh. At the moment, we've got, and I will say it, some quality referees. Mm. Yep, some absolute quality referees. And, and I look at this, and you've mentioned Lee Mason uh, before he come off because he was carrying that injury. I um, can't remember which game it was, but he was carrying an injury. It was spotted, and then he come off. So there was kind of no surprise. But you, you safe hands. So I've also been a referee secretary, okay? okay? And the referee secretary, you have your safe hands. 
you know, where you're not going to get any controversy or anything like that. So you tend to try and put those safe hands in place. I learned quickly to say, do you know what? No, I've got referees who are up and coming. Mm. I need them to have more games. So when you look at the Premier League, so I'm going to go below the Anthony Taylors, Martin Atkinson's, yep. Michael Oliver's. You go to Paul Tierney, probably the most improved referee this season. You know, he's refereeing astounding. And I know I know people will come on and say, oh, he made this mistake here because people don't forget mistakes. But he's level has gone up another level okay but does he get the bigger games does mike riley at the pgmol say i now trust him do they say the same to chris kavanagh who to me will be number one do they say that to chris kavanagh do they say i'm going to give you the big game here you go they will go with the safe hands now, Michael Oliver, for instance, um, and I think I've hit this on our, our, our Steel City RA newsletter, his game time is mm. way ahead this yeah. season of anyone. And that's not including fourth official, and that's not including VAR. Mm. So 90 minutes of Premier League football, I know what a 90-minute cup final does for me, mentally. Mm. 90 minutes at Premier League level, must be unbelievable focus, mental agility, and everything like that. Then the next day, they're fourth official. Yeah. Then the next, then midweek, off he goes, Michael Oliver, to Europe. Then he comes back, and you'll have the 12.30 on a Saturday. Yeah. And not the 5 o'clock on a Sunday, or a 7 o'clock on a Monday. They, you've also got, they've also had a thing where they've been traveling separately, whereas they used to travel together because of COVID. They're not continually staying over, although I do believe that's changed now where they are doing the stopovers. But some of them are stopping over and then driving straight to Stockley Park for VAR the next day. Mentally, you can't do that. You, you really, really can't do that. And the more I see of that, that, the players are knackered, right? I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to say that word, but players yeah. are absolutely shattered. It's so busy. It's game in, game out. The referees are exactly the same. Now, Mourinho hit on it. Mourinho was wrong, but Mourinho hit on it to say about uh, Oliver being tired the other week. And you know what? The guy is doing a lot of games mentally, physically, um, and there's people out there. Uh, Darren England... Okay, give him more games. He's not let us down this season at all. Give him more games. Andy Madley, he's not let us down. Give him more games. Yeah, and just to back up your numbers here, because like obviously you're saying all, all these names I'm understanding, so people might at my home might not. You're absolutely right to bang to mention Darren England and Andy Madley because I've got the 2020 statistics here. Mike Dean, oh well, Martin Atkinson, Michael Oliver, Anthony Taylor, you've you said how great referees are, like how great they are. They received 32 matches. Darren England received one and Andy Madley received 11. You just think, could that not be more balanced just for the benefit of both of them? Yeah, uh, without a doubt. What, what it is, is that it seems to me at the moment there's no contingency plan at the top. So, for instance, I'm sorry if I digress a little bit here, but just stay with me. Go for you've it. Got, you've got the select group referees. 
Okay, uh, so you've got select group one, uh, which is your Premier League referees. And then you've got your select group two, which is your championship referees. They're technically, if you want to really, they're the reserve referees for the Premier League. Okay. How many of them can make the jump into the Premier League? How many get a taster game here or a taster game there to say you can go up? And there's a guy, Matt Donahue, in the championship. And I watched him referee. It was a Sheffield Wednesday game. I can't remember who they were playing. And I watched it. And it was the best performance I'd seen in the championship. He was phenomenal. Now, I don't know if he's consistently good because I don't get to watch him every week. But is he now good enough to at least do a test game, just to take it off Michael Oliver's shoulders a bit, just to give him a bit of a break? You know, is he good enough? But then you've got another problem with the select group too. You've okay. got 56 year old referees in there. Ah, yeah. Right? I think one's 58, but I haven't had that confirmed. But there is a 56-year-old, and I ain't been ageist. I'm really not. But have you seen the speed of these Premier League players? Have you seen the speed of the uh, some of the championship players, especially the wide ones? They are lightning quick. And the thing is, is that with, with those on there, is, do you know what? You can read a game. I read a game more now because I'm getting on a bit, you know, so I can read the game a bit better. But my sprint speed is down by 1K. Now, I'm a grassroots referee and I know my sprint speed has dropped by 1K. I reckon when I go back next week, I bet you I've dropped another 1K because of lockdown. Yeah. You know, so that, that 1K sprint time is making a difference. Now, that's making a difference at championship level. But when you go down into Division 1, into League 1, and I look at some of the young referees there who I blind to on their way up, how they're not in the championship now, I don't know. There's a bottleneck for because of law, legal law, age law. As long as they pass a fitness test, they stay. Mm. But where's the plan to bring more referees through, the good ones? Yeah. And I, know, think I think as no well... There's no plan. It's not working. Yeah, and I think as well, I think the PGML, you'll might you probably know better than me, but I think they are a little, they've had their fingers burnt recently because I know there's a bit of a news story last February when I can't remember exactly which two referees, I think I chose to leave them unnamed, but they went for FIFA's test so they could um, referee in Europe and, across, and international fixtures, yeah. and they failed the fitness test. They were reportedly ill in February 2020, and there was, I think there was an illness going around at that time. So they might have, you know, might have had something to uh, hinder them a bit. But perhaps, perhaps at the moment, they're like a little hesitant to include these referees. It gives me the, sorry to relate it all the way back to, I guess, like, like make it from a player perspective. But it feels like the old Chelsea side where they have all these brilliant players and they're playing every week and they have this great academy and they should be giving them minutes, but they're giving them 60 minutes here. They'll give them 50 minutes in the last game of the season and then you don't see them come through. And it feels like that's what's happening with refs. Like, I've got it in front of me here and I'm not going to read it off, but like everything you're saying, I'm seeing. There's these names like Lee Probert, Mike Jones, David Coote, uh, and Andy Madley and Darren England. They're right at the bottom every season for these small one mm. games. And you kind of think, OK, if you don't trust them, why are you giving them one game in the first place? If you do trust them, take the stress off Michael Oliver's shoulders, 
let yeah. him have a rest. Don't send him two games in a row. Like, if, if imagine if Liverpool had to play Saturday morning and then Sunday evening. We'd all be up in arms because it'd be ridiculous. And then you've just mentioned that these referees have got to cover the pitch, be completely focused on 22 men on the field. So yeah. I think you, you completely swung me there. But to bring me back all the way down to communication, because I think... That, that's what you're speaking about before. And I think after this conversation here, I think that's clearly the issue because not enough people are hearing this perspective from you or these referees. If if the Daily Mail were to run a story about how, what, oh, they were, if they were to run a story about Michael Oliver's absolutely knackered because he's been forced to play two, like he's been forced to referee two matches in a row over Michael Oliver did this massive mistake the other day it'll get them off their backs. And I guess to lead into a question, do you think do you think referees should do post-match interviews? Do you think they should be mic'd up like they are in other mm-hmm. leagues and it gets played over with um it gets played over while VAR decisions coming in? What do you, what's your thoughts on that? No. <laughs> no the, the, the post-match interview for me is a huge no. Okay. okay. Why that? Yeah. A mic- microphone in the face straight away even if it was half an hour after um i would say completely no the game's done the game's gone uh we're not going to re-referee it however and it's a big however this and i'm going to come on to something to do with var in a minute the big however is i don't see why on a monday we can't have a proper show on Sky, on BBC, it doesn't matter, match of the day, they have the SoundCloud and stuff. And why not have proper, proper discussion and feedback from the referee? Now, it might be written feedback. So, for instance, he's seen it, he's then watched it on TV or whatever, and he's gone. So, Michael Oliver, the Tottenham one, perfect one. Whatever happens, Michael Oliver would never have changed his mind for the penalty. Okay, no matter what, whichever way, if he didn't give it, he wouldn't have changed it. If he did give it, he would have changed it. It was one of them decisions where he would not have changed his mind and he would have come out and said, no, I've seen it. It was a reckless challenge. And therefore, if you look at my angle, I'm actually looking between the gap in the two players and I've seen the leg come swinging across recklessly. So therefore, I've awarded the penalty. Now, as a fan, as a supporter, I'd have gone, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. I don't agree with you, but I can see what you mean. I can see what you've seen. Yeah. yeah. And and from my point of view, thank you. Um, you might then get, I mean, you mentioned Lee Probert then. I mean, Lee Probert sadly has had to retire. Um, he was one of the better referees, and he, he's had to retire due to his back, which is a real, real shame on there because he was, again, a safe pair of hands. He was Mr. Consistent, you know. He kind of went on. But if there was an error mm-hmm. okay, and they've watched it back and they've seen it and he comes out and says, now, talking from experience here, where someone shouted for a penalty and they've all looked at me going, have you not seen that? I said, I would have seen it. Number 10, not just come right across my eye line. <laughs> okay. You're probably right, but I'm not going to guess. So as a referee, from your body language, I know I'm wrong, but I ain't going to guess. Yeah. Okay. Just- suddenly, perspectives start changing. And you look at the look back at the feedback and you go, oh, yeah, look at number 10. He's completely in front of the referee. Yeah. Then you'll go, what about the assistant? Well, then you've got a report from the assistant saying, if you actually look on my point of view, I've got three players in my eyes. My eyes. I've got no chance. 
you know, or it's too far away for me. It's on the other side of the penalty area. I've got no chance. And suddenly you start educating. Mm. Okay. So suddenly you start educating, which for me would be priceless for football as a whole. It yeah. would be priceless because then when Saturday morning comes around and there's a foul and I point to a player to say they're playing them on. Yeah, I'm pointing saying that player's play, playing them on or that player there's second to last man and they would have got back. Everyone knows what I'm on about because they've heard it all from referees at the top level. Yeah, and just you before we... You've mentioned the mic. You've oh, mentioned God, yeah. the mic, right. Abroad, okay, I was very lucky to be invited to... Um, Sporting Lisbon did a webinar on VAR. Okay. Okay. And they had all the VAR leads from around the globe on this webinar during lockdown. And one thing that came to mind was that in their bunkers, in their rooms, whatever you want to call them, they had a social media person. Okay. So, for instance, so if we go, um, I'm trying to think of uh, what's the most recent VAR where they've gone to the screen. Um, I can't think of one, but I can get yeah. around that. They're ready. They're, the social media are saying, as soon as something happens, they'll go, This, this, the uh, they're currently looking for a possible handball, uh, number 10, West Ham. Um, mm. That's what's being reviewed. Then it'll come on and say, referee saying he's seen this. Okay, we're just waiting. No, it's not a handball. It's deemed that his hands are close to his body. He's not made him naturally bigger. So it's deemed there for it's not a handball. And they're texting this on social media using the match hashtags to everybody following that game. Hmm. Now, surely that has got to be the number one way to go with a social media person hashtagging it. So it's not on the referee, the VAR. Their conversation's ongoing, but you're getting a live feed. So in your gra in the ground, at home, wherever you are, you can see what they're thinking and what they're discussing. Yeah. And just before we touch fully on how the implementation of um, VAR there, I was going to get into these, a train of thought with it. Um, oh, you know that? Yeah, I was about to say. So, like literally hearing all of that i think it, you're bang on with it and i think it's all about opening the dialogue because when like just the idea of hearing like i'm trying to imagine because i'm going to pick his name not because i think he's bad or anything but because he's the name that gets picked all the time i'm gonna think okay imagine sky sports on monday morning mike dean even has a pre-recorded video and says yeah so i made this decision because of this i saw it like that right not only do I think oh, that'd be great, that'd be the first time I'd ever hear Mike Dean speak. And it, I feel like it's got to the point where you said the communication is so low with referees, you don't even think of them as people. Like when he reported he had death threats and things, it was a shock because you've never even heard him talk. It's yeah. just complete, it's almost complete silence. You don't even think of him as a person and you need to humanise it. And on the other end, though, with opening the dialogue, what do you think, because this is more of a personal thing, I remember what one thing that's really kicked off this conversation was after Lee Mace's error. Um, the one thing I thought was more striking was Lewis Dunk gave his post-match interview, and he he said, "Look, he, he said I'll probably get fined for this." What's your view on managers and like players getting fined for 
not necessarily not necessarily talking bad about referee because if they're going to hurl abuse his way or send hate, obviously get a massive fine. But when it's like like you've seen sometimes before, they'll criticise a decision. And do you think it's fair to get fined? Because in to me at least, it almost feels like they're being. It almost feels like they're preserving the silence. And you're kind of thinking, well, why are we not allowed to criticise it? Mm. What What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, they, I, they should get fined um, purely on the basis that they have got a process. They know the process to follow. Lewis Dunk will know the process to follow. The manager will know the process to follow on a decision to get an explanation. The idea okay. of them not bringing um, that abuse out is because that abuse is then tenfold on a Sunday morning. Okay. You know, okay. the, the um, the managers blaming referees for their losses has got to stop. Okay. It really has. It's a blame game all the time. Um, and this deflection from their team, I mean, there were a stat, I can't remember, I wish I could, I should have pulled it up on Twitter before, because I put the stats on there, and they were moaning that they, the team had lost, and they'd had something like 27 shots, mm. and one on target. That was not the reason you lost because of one decision by the referee. Yeah. You know, if you if your strikers are having 27 shots and only one of them's on target, you've got a problem. You know, and the problem isn't isn't the referee. The talking after the game, I don't think it's always fair that they've got to come straight out and do an interview, okay? You know, I know it's written in their rules, you know, for the money and all that sort of stuff. You've got to come out. And they're after their soundbite. They're after the, the rant or whatever it's going to be. That's what they want. Yeah. But it's not fair on us at grassroots. You know, it really isn't fair at us at grassroots. Okay. So, for every manager that slates a referee from a Saturday, we get it tenfold on a Sunday. I get what you mean. Yeah. Uh, that That's a, a fair answer then, yeah. Okay, well, I, I think one thing that was, like, moving very smoothly into this, I think this was really coming to a head in um, 2019, really. When referees were, had a low point of trust and the decisions, there was a lot of lot of criticism of their errors and things like this. When they were getting stretching and like, and to make this clear, it's very clearly most of the time it's probably well, number ten was across my eye line here. I couldn't actually see him get hacked down or something, and it was getting to a high point. But we had this technology to fix it, VAR, and there is two sides to it, in my opinion. One side is. We need to make this technology go. We've got to get rid of it. Got to get rid of the technology. It's ruining the game. And the other side is, oh, it's the people behind the technology. The people, I mean, the technology can't do anything. The people behind it are ruining it. But that's coming from the fan perspective where we don't get to hear the insight from you. So tell, tell me, Simon, what is your view of VAR? What's working? What isn't working? A joke the other week, somebody asked me, what was your answer for VAR? And I went, switch it off. Switch it off? I am a fan to a point, okay? I love our game and I love the celebrating and I love the instant moment and not waiting. You know, you know, my age is more, so therefore I go back to that moment of, you know, following my team home and away, celebrating. 
VAR that though was brought in because if, if you remember the Thierry Henry handball for France against Ireland and stuff like that, where the referee's got no chance of seeing it. So I'm going to go back and say no, I wouldn't turn it off. What I would do is personally, I'd have Howard Webb involved within the game in this country, okay. and that, and I would say I would have him as head of PGMOL. Okay. He's, he's done such a good job in America. Okay. It's a natural thing for us to get him here. He knows the game. He's refereed the World Cup final. Why can't we have the best? If we've got the best league in the world, why don't we have the best referee or the best person for the job who's already doing the job outstanding elsewhere? Mm. Okay. You've also then got that there's in the MLS. Only one in three games has a VAR incident or oh, wow. involvement. Yeah, that's okay. very different to us. Totally different. And do you know why? They're offsides. There's no lines. Okay. How do their they offsides have, work? They, they have uh, an assistant referee, just like we do. They pause mm -hmm. it. They have a glance and they go goal. They pause it. They have a glance and they'll go offside. None of this measuring. None of that. They'll go, and that's it. That's what they do. Okay. So when your fans are celebrating, you know, it's either already been disallowed, you know, like like in good old days where you're all going in and, and they start chanting, you thought you had scored, you were wrong, and all that sort of stuff. Um, or it's the other way. It's done at speed. Now, the other side of VAR, which is what I would do, is I would separate who is the referee of VAR in the sense that at the moment, if you've got, so for instance, David Coon mm -hmm. is a new referee to the Premier League telling Michael Oliver, Martin Atkinson, how to referee. <laughs> how? Yeah. Right. But if you turn around and go, I tell you what, I'll put Howard as the head of the PGMOL. And I will get somebody like Mark Halsey or Lee Probert, both out of the game now, retired. Yeah. I'm going to go and get one of those. I'm going to put them in charge of VAR and ask them to build a team of ex-professionals, ex-pro refs, or even ex-semi-pro refs. Without saying anything, I, I, you know, you can tell them that they are wrong or you can tell them they need to see the screen. So you could actually go the other way and say, I tell you what, we'll have semi-pro referees on there, but they'll say, oh, I think you might need to see that again. You watch how much it cuts it down, the viewing, and how long are they viewing it for. But if you've got Halsey together or um, Probert putting a team together who do all the training together and put another squad together of officials to be BAR directly VAR, now Michael Oliver hasn't got VAR to worry about. You know, he's finished the game, he's on his way up. Yeah. He ain't got a VAR to do. Doesn't yeah. have to go to Stockley Park because the team's already there. The team that's appointed that weekend is already in there. Yeah. You know, and they all know what they're going to give and what they're not going to give because suddenly Mark Halsey and uh, Howard Webb or Lee Probert and Howard Webb talk to each other. Yeah. And they know what they want to give and what they don't want to give. 
Yeah, and that's such a that's such a clear, good, obvious point you've made that went straight over to our heads. That why is a new referee? Like it's no disrespect to like you mentioned David Coo, but it's just I, I bet the dynamic if he's trying to tell Martin Atkinson about a decision, there's probably a preset dynamic there of well, I'm Martin Atkinson. I feel like I've got this right, and David Coo saying, "Well, I'm viewing it, and I'm not sure." And that's probably where the delays come from. But just, I would, I think. When you were mentioned about the offside thing, I think that's where the big complaints come in, right? Because it, it gives... I, I personally, I'm not sure if I'm kind of weird in this, but I actually kind of like the VAR weight because it almost feels like you get a second celebration. But mm-hmm. then also, it can be extremely deflating to... Like when you yeah, see a striker... Yeah. When you see a striker score and they've gone, right, I've scored. Oh, well, it's, it's counted. It's extremely frustrating for them. Do you think... That's a problem more of the rule book because the rule book of the laws, I know you mentioned it changes every year and I'm sure you'll enlighten me that maybe it has changed in the past years, but it feels like it feels like we're using a rule that was set a long time ago before this technology could exist, like in the way it does. And it's saying, right, you need to check if he's a bit offside. And then all of a sudden the technology's coming and said, right, we need to follow this. We need to make sure if his armpit's offside. I think I saw you tweet about that the other day how ridiculous it is. And he just mentioned the lines thing. Maybe there's another alternative, I thought, as well. I think in the Eredivisie, they do it where they do have the lines, but if they're touching, it doesn't, like, it's on it's onside because at that point it's so close. Do yeah. you think that's another alternative, maybe? Do you know what? I think there's been quite a few suggested alternatives. Going back to the laws of the game, they changed this year purposely. So they've changed them this year purposely because of VAR. Okay. okay. Does it help us at grassroots? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it really, really doesn't help us in any way, shape or form. I mean, I've said for many years, there should be two law books now because the Premier League law book is totally different to our law book. Yeah, so hang on, my dog's about to go mad and then I'll come back to that. It's okay. <laughs> the door. They've been so good, so quiet. <laughs> Watch him in the background, so pleasantly quiet on your sofa. But no, you can continue. You are on Are about the, the, law um, book, the yeah. two law two law books, almost for grassroots, and then for the Premier League because they do referee different, and it's just the same book. You know, hmm. it's the same book. I could go on about it. It's like at weekend, uh, Redmond. Mm. I saw and heard exactly what he said to Martin Atkinson after a decision. And at grassroots, he'd be having 10 minutes in the sim bin. Oh. <laughs> there wasn't even a yellow card given. Okay? Mm. And it's about tolerance levels. And, and that side of thing is where we are wrong. The offside and what you mentioned and the lines and stuff, the law, it was changed this year. So last year, if you remember, if I can lift it up, they were going for the armpit. Yeah. yeah? So now they've changed it to this bit Yeah. to try and be really clear. And fans still don't like it. So they complained about it. Now, offside is black and white. You either are or you're not. You know, there's yeah. no inputs or anything. But what you've got is a problem that the technology isn't enough frames per second to get the exact point that it's left the, the fall to the exact point of that person making the move. So you've got to have a little bit of leeway in there to a, speed it up and, mm-hmm. and B, 
<laughs> just do it. Just just say it. Just go off your go off whatever you first see. Because your your first pause is you're normally right just on viewing it. Now, the other things I've seen said is the fact that it depends on your feet. If your feet are on side, you're on side. The the Venga one I don't like, and I'll say why I don't like it, is the fact that they're saying if any point of your foot mm. is on side, which means that you've seen it where they've got a foot behind them and now now and then you're going to get the measurements to say that one stud played them on side when actually they've got a yard and a half because of their stride length on the defender yeah my thing is is that if both feet are on side give the goal yeah i was about to say i think i think this is where we might have a resounded agreement because i think that i i I've been a full supporter of VAR, but recently I did have an extremely... I had a moment where I just thought, this is ridiculous. I was watching Chelsea v Liverpool, I believe. I'm a neutral, so I watch all different games from all across different leagues. But I was watching Chelsea v Liverpool, and Timo Werner made a brilliant run in behind. And what he did, he looked at Jorginho, and he pointed, won it here, and his point was considered offside. So it was almost as if you can't tell your midfielder where you want to put the ball. He's, like, he's not going to punch it in. He's not going to elbow it in. No. And it's like, I think it should just be exactly the way you've said it. Like, he, he feet, if his feet, his feet are giving him the advantage, but he should be allowed to say, yep, yeah, I want it here. Yeah. And that's that's what supports the, the whole of it. But I think that was... The uh, game's changing. You've got to remember, the game's changing. So David Ellery, who writes these laws. Okay, so David Ellery at IFAP who's a former head teacher, writes the laws. Now, I'm not saying that people are stupid and stuff, but he writes them how he understands it. Mm. He sees it in his head and goes, oh, that's how it's going to be. And off he goes and he writes it. He doesn't think of all the connotations. He might do. I might be totally wrong, you know. He might do a sounding board. It's like anything else in business and stuff like that. In my business, we have a sounding board. We chuck it all out and then we look at where people can see it. You know, it's like, Social media, you go to write a tweet and you read it back and you think someone's going to take it wrong straight away so you delete the tweet because of the way it's written. You can't do that in the laws of the game. They've got to be specific for everyone. They've mm. got to be what it says on the tin, so to speak. You know, offside's got to be clear, handball. Um, you know, it's like they've took out um, words like the spirit of the game. Yeah. Put it back in. So, for instance, was it Aston Villa, Man City, when Aston Villa, when he was so far offside and, you know, but in the spirit of the game, the goal was allowed, sorry, in the laws of the game, the goal was a goal because it was a deliberate pass. I don't know you talk about, yes. Deliberate head back or something it was. If you put it in the spirit of the game, it doesn't stand. The referee yeah. turns down and says, I can't allow that because it's not in the spirit of the game. Yeah. You know, it's a grey area within the laws of the game, and it gives them um, and it gives them a get out clause um, to be able to do that. Now, okay, Man City would have complained completely to say in the laws of the game it was right, but even somebody like Pep, I do believe, would have turned around and go, but in the spirit of the game, I'm glad it weren't. Yeah, and I think the natural counter to it, and I think I know what the I know I think I know what your answer will be to it, but just the. Uh, I think some people might have the counter to that and also the idea of the MLS thing when they give it a quick glance. They might say, what size black and white? You can't leave it subjectively. But I imagine you'll say, 
we've got these high level referees, this actually gives them a chance to flourish correctly. Like if anyone's qualifying to have a quick glance and say, yep, offside, I'm guessing it's the referees, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at the assistant referees are 99% accurate without VAR. Hmm. You watch Darren McCann, Sean Massey, um, Gary Beswick, uh, Adam Nunn. You watch them. You watch the amount of times they are right, and it is, a, and it's a, and it is so close, and they are right. And now we should actually have more appreciation for our assistant referees than ever before because of the amount of times they are right. They put yeah. the flag up afterwards, it goes back and it's turned or it's offside. They are brilliant. Now imagine the same calibre, um, so such as uh, Glenn Turner, Guy Beale, people like that who are now retired, doing the VAR assistant refereeing because they had the same accuracy rate levels. They were awesome. Mm. You know, so and they can do it at a glance. I mean, we did a thing, we went to our local under-18s league meeting with managers, obviously totally pre-COVID, and we had a training video on four offsides from, uh, and it, the great videos to be a part of, to actually watch. So you side on, you know it's coming, and you've got to give whether onside or offside, and the managers were 30% correct. <laughs> and they would side on the same managers who were shouting the week before from the halfway yeah. line that the referee was totally wrong, um, but they were only 30% correct and they knew what they were looking for. We then give them some guidance and I let somebody else explain it. And, and the guidance actually came from Darren England in a meeting. Uh, he, he were brilliant because, as you know, Darren was previously a Premier League uh, assistant referee and then he's actually made it all the way back now as a referee. And he, he was saying about eyesight of what you see to your brain, there's a delay. Of about a second. So if they're a meter off, but they're at sprint, the chances are they were on side because of this delay. And this is what our assistants work to. And we told the coaches this and played another 10 clips. They went up to 80% accuracy. Blimey. It's a massive thing by just allowing that if that person's sprinting and they look a meter offside by giving it and saying, actually, no, onside, and then showing it, they were spot on. Now, you go to an assistant referee in the Premier League who train, train, and train, and watch these videos and they're part of these uh, scenarios and stuff, their accuracy levels are off the chart. You know, mm -hmm. they are amazing. So, yes. There is the odd mistake. We know it. We see it. There is the odd mistake where the flag doesn't go up and it goes back and you go, oh, wow, they're half a yard off. You know, that type of thing. But their accuracy should never be brought in. So for a VAR, so, so for a VAR trained assistant referee to have a glance at the exact moment, they'll be 99.9% .9 accurate. There we go. That was a great answer. I've just got a few questions left now. And I think, well, one of them's, one of them, I feel like you've slightly... I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts still, but I feel like I sort of might know the answer. This is before, I think, you gave about 50 reasons why referees in the Premier League are actually really good. But again, I was look, I was comparing the Premier League um, to other European leagues and the referees. And there's, there's also another glaring difference. And it's not necessarily an issue, but it's just it's just something to consider. So I've, I, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I could find, the Premier League referees 
they're given a yearly salary and they're also given a game by game bonus on top of that. Whereas in Europe, referees have no salary. It's just purely game by game payment. Do you, do you think it's that's complete? Like, do you think maybe we should adopt the European model? Because I guess the natural argument would be if you're getting uh, a game by game payment and you make an error and miss your game, then that's a lot of pressure to not make that error anymore. But yeah. what, what, what do you think about that? We have the best league in the world. Mm. Yeah, um, I don't think it's debatable. Um, my my thing is is that the referees need to be full time. I believe it in the women's game as well. Now I believe the women's game needs full time referees. We need full time training because when the laws of the game come out, okay, and and I, I'm quite happy for somebody to tweet me or anything on this to say it's not true. The first thing the club does is get hold of the new laws and say, is how can we get around this? How can we can circumnavigate to get that one advantage mm. in the laws of the game? Mm. Our referees, yeah, deserve the chance to train full time. And when, when you see things about falling standards and stuff, and, and that's kind of the thing on there is the fact that when you go abroad, take... Uh, Got his name, oh, Felix Briesch, for instance, from Germany. Yes. He yes. did uh, AC Milan and Manchester United last Thursday. He was outstanding. Mm. He wasn't just outstanding, he was off the chart. That was probably one of the best referee performances I'd seen. Mm. Okay, and the reason it was is because he was telling players to get up, and I loved it. I also loved the advantages that he was playing, that he was waiting and waiting and waiting for both teams. He was quite happy for him to try and stay on the feet um, and then he'd pull it back. And that's because I have a bugbear. And that bugbear is when they are tripped, but stay on the feet. Yeah, mm. they stay on the feet and then they don't come back to it in the UK. Do, no. do you know what I mean? They're tripped up, but they try to stay on the feet. And I feel like they get penalised for trying to stay on the feet. OK, yeah. and, and I, I just wanted to make that as a point because I do see that. But. What I'm going to say is, is that your Kakir, your breaches of this world, um, they are really good. Mm. Is feel is is uh, is he better than Michael Oliver? Yes, he is. Do we currently have the best referee in Europe? No, we don't. In the top ten of referees in Europe, do we have a referee? I'd say we have two, maybe even three. Okay. I think definitely two. I'm going to say stick to two. Uh, we have two probably of the top 10. In the next 10, 15, I'd say we've got loads. What I'm trying to say is, is that we might not have the best, okay, whereas we've had the best in the past. You know, Clattenburg, Webb, brilliant. You know, brilliant, brilliant referees, okay. Okay, didn't always get it right, but they had a presence. They had something about them that they refereed with... Uh, empathy to the game so when the referee with empathy it, it changes the game on the referee's point of view my thing is is on there is i think we've got better referees than europe okay as a whole yeah you know if okay. you took them as a team say who's got the best team i would say we have i do we do i believe we've got some weak players oh i do yeah mm. okay and i think that and and i 
those weak players, I, I think it's time to move them on. But who do you replace them with? If I said to you, I think we've got four referees who, do I say four, three, four referees who probably need to call it a day at the Premier League? Hmm. Where do their three replacements come from? Bear in mind, we're operating with 19 referees at the moment. I personally think we should be operating with 20 to 22 referees. So where do those referees come from? Because the championship, I could name two. Mm. Some of the rest are too old and shouldn't be there. <laughs> They've earned the right to be there. But I'm going to put age in it and say no. I, I, yes, you've passed the fitness test. But what are your marks like? Yeah, and it all comes down to the shortage because after them, who comes in to replace them? So that's it. So you push the likes of uh, Tom Bramall, uh, James Bell, uh, Ross Joyce, people like that from League Ones and League Twos. You push them up into the Championship, which is where they should be. Yeah. Who's going to replace them? Well, yeah. actually, at conference level... There are some really, really talented referees that can't make the step up because of the bottleneck. Mm. You know, and they have this thing of only promoting one or maybe two. Well, you know what? Go for 10. Yeah. Give okay. 10 referees a chance to referee at that level. And then everybody moves up. But the problem you've got there is, and this, this is what I'm hoping people will do. When I went for my level four, there was 30 plus of us on one of the fitness nights. They had two fitness nights, uh, training, uh, fitness test nights, and there were 30 plus at the one I was at, and there was 20 plus at the other one. Hmm. The last one I visited, they did it with nine. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's a big drop off. Huge drop. So, where is everyone? So these nine are going for promotion and there might be five places. So competition-wise, do you know what? It's not really that competitive. Mm. So you've got the five there and they get promoted to, to level four. Are those five now out of their depth because they've got promoted by being in the right place at the right time? I get you, yeah. You know, don't get me wrong, I'm not, because I go and watch Northern Counties football and I've seen some amazing referees. Um, I was with a referee called Gareth Myers uh, quite a few years ago. I was refereeing at Leeds United Ladies, it was, and he played at Ellen Road and he was on my line. He then got a double jump in his promotion and he's had a promotion since. And he refereed at Penniston FC in Northern Counties and I watched him and he was outstanding. So the right, some of the, the right referees do make it beyond there, but some are just stuck. Mm. Why are they stuck? Why is nobody taking them under their arms and saying, you know, you, you shouldn't be here anymore. You've been here this many years. Why aren't we making it to the next level? And then you've got to look at processes and procedures for that because some referees will have one good year and get promoted. Mm. And then you've got referees yeah. who are consistently in the top five year in, year out, but don't get promoted. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Um, do, you know, do you know what I mean? So there's loads we could do. There's loads that there's loads could be mapped out to improve refereeing standards 
from the very, very bottom. From, I say bottom, it's not the bottom. Grassroots is where we're at. And I know we could really, really improve refereeing at grassroots. Well, yeah, I've got um, was the final point I've got is very outside me. I think I think it does actually start in the grassroots because it's something that does get touched on, I think, yearly. Um, is a diversity in refereeing. And it's not just I, I and I'm I'm not too sure obviously because we don't have statistics what it's like in the lower leagues or in grassroots, but even at the top of the game, it's just not there's barely any diversity. At least uh, again, like I've looked at it across Europe this time. If would you believe that across the top twenty referees in Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, Liga and uh La Liga, there is literally three diversities and Again, that's kind of calling it a bit like that's exaggerating a bit. What it actually is that is that every referee is a white man, and then there is uh, one mixed race referee in Liga, and there's another female referee called Stephanie Flapper in Liga, oh, who's yeah. got a brilliant referee, huge respect. So watch your week. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. But where obviously it's quite a touchy subject. But do you think that issue starts in grassroots? And how do we fix it? It does. I mean, I go to Sheffield. We've got Uriah Rennie. He's our head of referees around here. Mm. So, you know, we've got the first black Premier League referee on our doorstep. And, you know, and you've got to remember, I mean, Uriah was fit. You know, he was a good referee as well. He was really, really good. And he's head of referees. And we've still not got any diversity in our referees. You know, and he, we've, we've got our role model on, on our doorstep, you know, mm. somebody I aspire to be, you know, literally starting out and I used to watch him and think, you know what, he's brilliant, you know, type thing. So so our role model, you know, our role model is black and good on it. Yeah. He went to the Premier League, yeah, he held his own in the Premier League brilliantly and had some amazing, amazing games. So, you know, so to have so few at grassroots in diversity mean now the women's game is the growing side. So we'll go diverse. Let's let's talk women first. Yeah. The women's game is growing. OK. And you have a choice of pathways. So you can go down the women's route game or the men's route game. Now, the big question is here. One day we will have our first female referee in the Premier League. Mm. OK. In the middle. Okay, Sean Massey as an assistant referee to me is our number one yeah. uh, referee. I really do. I think she is number one by. I say that Darren can he he Darren can he's he's quality as well, and I mentioned a few others earlier. But Sean Massey is leading the way to say to women, "You can make it." Okay, we've then got a couple in the middle in League One and League Two. So mm-hmm. Abby Burns down there. I can't remember who the other one is. I think it might be Rebecca Welsh. But anyway, they're, they, they're on that side. Now, will a man ever referee the women's FA Cup final again? So, you know, when you go equality and diversity and everything. So we've got to say is the fact a woman will do the FA Cup final. Yeah. A woman will do the Premier League. Yeah. Will a man do the women's FA Cup final? It's kind of a question on equality that you've kind of got to think about, okay, 
down the line will that ever happen again but when you look at some of the female officials that we have now maybe because i have a daughter that referees now she's level four um i think she's level two she's level two in the women's game and she obviously wants to go to do the next step to level one um she loves the women's game yeah Mm -hmm. she absolutely loves everything about it she has amazing laughs and everything with the players um but when it comes to lining she's awesome in the men's game when it comes to the middle in the men's game she's got no confidence no so what what you've got to do is say how 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 do we work with the women to get on both sides because how can she be so good at being on the line but so lacking in confidence in the middle yeah and it, and it's because she sees herself as female regardless of what i told her you're a referee you're a good referee you're not mm. a female referee well you are but you're not you're a referee you've got to yeah. see yourself as a referee and the number yeah. one referee should get this appointment should get that appointment now when when you go across because there we've got some amazing officials in sheffield some female officials here they are brilliant and they they're really going to make a mark go to the the question over uh, minority um for the refereeing standards we had a referee who i'm not going to mention the name but they were class mm-hmm. and they were going up and they were going on and they were backed and Uriah backed him and everything else. And then lo and behold, there was some racist abuse towards him and the FA didn't back him. Oh. He walked away from the game and he was a referee that I loved to watch. He, he was so fit. He had empathy for the game. He had great communication. He made a big key match incident uh, decision one day. Somebody didn't agree. And he never got backed. Oh, God. And he walked away from the game. Mm. I can actually go on and mention two more on there that have gone through so much to get to where they got, and that was higher than level four, and they caught the same thing and didn't get backed. Yeah. It almost feels like the referees we've mentioned, the, hey, uh, forgive me if I forgot the name, but the first black referee in the Premier League and also Stephanie Frapper, Sean Massey, they're brilliant trailblazers, but it feels like the walls behind them that they broke down have almost been rebuilt in a way. Like what you just mentioned about your daughter, she gets into the middle of the men's game and thinks, I'm not a referee, I'm a female referee. How, yeah. how, do, how do we tackle that? And you just mentioned about the FA. Is it, it, does the backing have to come from them? Is it the FA that need to address this issue? Is it them that need to do the building blocks? I'll be straightforward. The FA, there's some amazing people work within the FA. Mm-hmm. Sadly, people in blazers stop these amazing people in the FA from doing what they need to do to get results. Mm. Yeah. They have no idea of grassroots or what people go through. The, we've mentioned my daughter. She, she doesn't know how good she is, okay? It sounds like she doesn't know how good she is. She gets told by so many people uh, that she doesn't get it, and that's because she's had no support from the FA. She doesn't believe it, yeah? 
she doesn't believe it she's fought for everything that she's actually got they people in the in the blazers as i say their attitude is don't be so sensitive get on with it oh. it's a part of refereeing yeah mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing it's a part of refereeing it's the culture of football the culture of football is wrong mm. yeah it do you know what maybe 20 30 years ago 40 years ago you know what was was be you know but when you look back at some of the racism and you listen to what went on and i remember some of the internationals and john barnes and stuff like that and it was i was offended then to, to know that it's still happening today with the likes of you know what i mean i'm 50 i'm bang on 50 and with everything with the taking the knee and all that sort of stuff i haven't seen color for a long time do you know what i mean i haven't seen you know i see people every day every life I, I go i have a great great network of friends and i do not see color until the last year mm. because of everything that's being made of it and then i saw that i think morales has copped it from weekend you know from an idiot and he's a kid yeah you got to remember with kids, I could go on the right rant here with kids. They are born as a blank canvas and they've been taught that that's wrong. So something needs to happen in culture there that I could go on about. I really could go on about. That's a whole different story. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's culture, that's politics. But football itself at the moment has got to do more. You know, it really has. And I don't mean more as in recruiting more. Because I think the recruitment is it's down to you if you want to do it. So professional footballers will make the best referees. Why is the question? And on those professional footballers, there's nothing stopping them from becoming a referee. Why don't they? And that's the same for women and the same for ethnicity and everything else of why don't they become it? Well, if I'm watching uh, Fred get abused on Instagram and Instagram doing nothing about it or whatever it is, if you're seeing that abuse, why would you want to do it? Hmm. you wouldn't okay. yeah so the the fa needs to support more there is a demographic within refereeing who need don't get me wrong the whole of refereeing needs support the budget's been cut and everything the whole of refereeing needs support but i will take these demographics and i will give them a bit of a focus in the early days of moving forward not to give them an advantage but to keep them interested yeah i think yeah you've worded that so perfectly there I think well, that was... now. I <laughs> go on. no that, that was did, did, i had to sit back and just listen that was an excellent answer if it was just an excellent answer and what's happening especially mentioning fred and the things happening there i think you're hitting now bang on the head but i, I do want to end on a slight i guess a slight more light-hearted note because it feels a bit it, it just want to end a bit more lighthearted, you know. And I just wanted to ask this question that's coming into my head, which is a nice way to finish off. Simon, obviously, we've had goal line technology, we've had VAR. What do you think is the next step in refereeing? What's the future? What's the next big change we can expect to happen in the world of refereeing? In Premier League technology, yeah, instant decisions on offside, it's already been done 
being tested. Okay. Automated offside decisions. Automate? How how does that work? No idea. I just know. <laughs> I just know that there's a certain thing to do with technology. Frames are the set right. It's to do with the frames per second being increased, and I think it's 3D modelling of the players. Blimey! So okay. the, the the players stopped in whichever position, and it's the three. So the frames per second is more accurate than what we have now because I think if I'm right, it's 50 at the moment, and I think they'll increase it to a 500 or something like that. So it'll be bang on. And then the 3D model of the player from that positioning will give an absolute definitive answer. Wow, that's something I'm going to look out for myself. But Simon, it has been absolutely brilliant to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on. I think you've given for anyone who listens to this, I think this will go very well because I'm certainly going to share this everyone I know. Just so brilliant to listen. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm there, always around. Is there anything you want to plug for people to look at uh, before we head off? Do you know what? No, I mean, Steel City RA, we're on Facebook and we have a group and I'd love people to join it. And I mean, players, managers, the whole lot, because I won't learn personally without your view. Yeah. As long as it's done in a nice manner, in a good manner. Yeah. And I think it's likewise the other way, you know, and I, th I think going forward on that, if we could all come together and say what cheeses you're off and why we do things, then I think we'll improve the game. What a brilliant life life perspective there. Wonderful, Simon. Yeah, thank you for coming on and thanks everyone for watching. Uh, you can check out some of our videos on content or spy soccer. Please make sure you subscribe and continue supporting our content. Thank you very much and bye-bye.